You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading this evening comes from Proverbs chapter 6, 6 through 11, and Proverbs 10, 1 through 5. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. This is the word of the Lord. Our Father, we are thankful for your word to us. So now we are glad to sit under it, place ourselves under your wisdom, and oh, for grace, Jesus, we pray for more. Help us to trust you more for all that you've given us in your word and in your life lived for us. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. It's good to see you all this evening. Uh, we've been working through the Proverbs last week, starting at first of our topical sermons uh, thinking uh, last week in, about decision-making. This week, we're going to be thinking about work, work and vocation. If you couldn't have guessed that from what uh, Kelsey just read from the book of Proverbs. Uh, a few years ago, I read from a Harvard professor named Andrew Del Banco, and he opens his short little book called The Real American Dream, and he says this, at the heart of any cohesive culture is a story that gives it hope a story that helps us overcome the lurking suspicion that all our working and getting and spending amounts to nothing more than fidgeting while we wait for death. That's quite a, that's quite a paragraph. He's saying that we need, as human beings, a, a, a story of meaning to distract us or even give us a sense that we're not just fidgeting and waiting to die. Uh, we need something more than ourselves. Otherwise, everything that we do whether that is waking up tomorrow morning on Monday morning to go to class or studying for exams or going to class or going to work tomorrow, even leisure activities, vacations. All of these things are merely just fidgeting while we wait to die. There are tons of these competing American stories that vie for our attention, vie to give us meaning, like work as hard as you can to be someone that matters, or perhaps another story that competes against that is life doesn't have any meaning. So if that's the case, then do whatever you can or want to do just to be entertained. Follow your dreams. Pursue your passions. All of these are underlying meaning-giving stories, competing stories, but I think all of them really are just a way for us to really just fidget our life away until we die. Well, fortunately, the larger book to which the book of Proverbs belongs to uh, gives us a more meaningful story than any of those a grand sweeping story in which the entirety of our lives 
belong. And that actually does include leisure activities and vacations. It includes going to class, studying for exams. It includes waking up tomorrow morning on Monday morning and going to work. And so work. What is one of the very first go-to small talk questions that we ask when we meet somebody? What do you do? Rightly or wrongly, especially we as Americans, we carry a lot of identity in what we do. And a lot of this isn't necessarily wrong. A lot of this is because God created us not just to be, but to do. How do we know this? Well, Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1-1, the very first line in the whole book of the Bible says, in the beginning, which, by the way, is very much like a, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It's kind of like this first immediate setting set or uh, kind of story giving, meaning giving, setting, creating uh, intro. It's the beginning of a grand story, the world in which we live today. And in that world, in this beginning of this world, we learn that God created everything. He went to work. He created a perfect place to live with his people. And then we find out that God created us in his image. There are certain things about us that are to look like him and that we represent in, uh, we represent him in. And so, I think very quickly in Genesis 1 that we find out that work is good because work is godlike. He told them in Genesis 1:27 to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the on the earth. God called Adam and Eve to work, to form and to fill the the earth, to cultivate it and push back against the chaos. All of this before the fall. Now, of course, the fall is coming very quickly in Genesis 3. And some of you might remember something that we've said here on a Sunday before, that that of the the pinch test of the Bible, that you can take uh, Genesis 1 and 2 on the left side over here, and then uh, Revelation like 19, 20, 21 uh, over here, and then like everything else in the rest of this Bible is the existence that we live in. That of this side of the fall and of this side of the consummation of Christ, the return and the, cre- the culmination of all things. All this middle stuff, stuff tells us of our current existence, where we find weeds in our backyard, where we find the laundry always trying to unfold itself, where we find things always breaking and water heaters needing to be replaced, money to earn, food to buy or to grow. There is death, there is sadness, there is toil. And this is the world in which we live and this is the world in which the book of Proverbs belong. And so it's good first to remember first, before we get into these Proverbs, that work actually exists on the front end of the fall. That it's actually good. But that's just this one overly long intro to the Proverbs. So we're going to think about work and vocation in the context of the Proverbs under two headings. And that is first, wrong thoughts about work, and then right thoughts about work. There are lots of wrong thoughts that the Proverbs are trying to confront, and then there are lots of right thoughts that the Proverbs are wanting to give us to think about our lives and how we work them. So, first of all, some wrong thoughts about work. Uh, I didn't have Kelsey read a few verses in Proverbs 26. By the way, if you weren't here with us last week, I'm just going to be going through... uh, 
some longer sections in Proverbs, but then lots of just these pithy one-liners. So perhaps uh, rather than flipping back and forth every time I mention a, uh, a, a particular verse, maybe just jot it down and put all of these together to consider this week. But in Proverbs 26, starting in verses 13 through 16, uh, Solomon says this about the sluggard. This is a word we don't use very much, but just a lazy person. The sluggard says, there is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. And so the first way that we wrongly think about work is exactly the way the sluggard thinks about this, in which he doesn't see work as a good calling. So in... First of all, he, he makes excuses. He's saying that there is a lion in the road. He's either lying about this lion so that he can get out of his work. He's like, hey, sorry, I can't make it into work today because there's a lion outside. Either he's lying or he knows that he get, should get up and do something, but he's telling himself that there's actually something dangerous out there to suppress his image of God desire to work and to create and cultivate. He's lying to others or he's lying to himself. He's making excuses. Now, we likely don't call in sick one day by making an excuse that there's a lion outside. But to some degree, we are all sluggards, and so therefore we all make many different kinds of similar excuses. And one writer says that we can make uh, a couple of different kinds, different categories of excuses. The first being the exception excuse. That I am an exception I am special. I am not like the others. Because I am wise, because I am reasonable, because I can see the bigger picture than the people out there who make the rules. In my judgment, the rules aren't exactly fair, so I think I'll change them just a little as they apply to myself and then not tell anyone. In other words, I am the main character of this story of my life, and you all are my supporting characters. Someone should clean up my room. Someone should clean up the kitchen or the garage, but not me. I am the main character. So I shouldn't have to contribute to this family like the other supporting characters. Since I'm special, I can just come home and immediately turn on the TV or start playing video games while my wife, my roommates, my children, everyone else in the family provide for my every need or desire. Yeah, I know people out there shouldn't cheat on tests or cut corners on this project at school or at work. But since I'm the main character, I get to make an exception to that rule that applies to everyone else. So, because that's the case, it's really not that big of a deal that I don't contribute in this way or follow the rules in these ways. Since I'm special, my kids deserve to have an excellent youth or children's ministry here at church, but someone else can take care of it. I'm the exceptional member of this body in which no work is required or expected because I am the main character. There's a lion out there preventing me from doing this work that I expect everyone else to do. Of course, all of this just realizes or ignores the fact that, well, for us as members of this church, we are one of 160 or 70 members, or as it applies to regular life or wider life, uh, we are one of 7 billion people, and there's actually not much special about us. Of course, God knows us and has created us especially, but we are one of 7 billion people, and as we thought about before, within three generations, no one is going to remember your name. Is actually not that much special. You are not an exception. So we should not be making these kinds of exception excuses. 
But another kind of excuse from Proverbs 26 is also that what we might call the lowest common denominator excuse, which is essentially just takes the opposite approach of the exception excuse. Since everyone is taking it slow, why not me too? Because I'm the same as everyone else and everyone else is lazy, I should be lazy too. None of my friends are serving in this area. None of my friends are regularly reading their Bible with their kids. All of my friends cheated on this test. All of my friends cut corners on this project or lied here, etc., etc., etc. But Proverbs 10:2 says, "Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death." These kinds of short-term corner-cutting corner excuses do not pay off in the long run. And so the sluggard makes excuses about scary lions out there. But then secondly, as 26.14 shows us, the sluggard also shows no initiative. Solomon says, as a door turns on its hinges, so the sluggard does on his bed. Like doors on his hinges, the sluggard just turns over. Five more minutes, five more minutes, five more minutes, never getting out of bed. And here's some advice that I am now speaking to myself along to all of us. Set an alarm at night and then when it goes off in the morning, get up. Proverbs 20, oh, it's tough. Proverbs 20, verse 13, love not sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. Now, not only is there an increase of productivity, the amount of praying, the amount of Bible reading, the amount of reading of other books or exercising or whatever you might do before the sun comes up. But discipline with your alarm clock will inevitably bleed into other areas of discipline in your life as well. If you can daily do just the really little thing of denying your flesh and the things, and just this little thing of learning and cultivating discipline, well, that matters. Perhaps you are disciplined about getting out of bed but do you find yourself doing the same unproductive, hinge-squeaking activities day to day to day, week after week after week, year after year after year? year? Proverbs 12, 11 says this, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Again, these are general, gen generalities about the way things are. These aren't universal truths. We know many people who are disciplined and work hard, but actually do not see much return. But what Solomon is saying here is that, actually, there's nothing inherently wrong with Netflix or video games or something like that. And we'll see in a minute why we also do need rest. Perhaps we do need some, need some so-called meaningless hobbies in our lives. But have areas of entertainment, have Hobbies consumed so many hours of the pie chart of your week that you've actually left no time for ways to actually produce, ways to actually begin to grow in your love for Christ. He who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense, doesn't have wisdom. How are we growing in our wisdom, in our knowledge, in our creativity, in our production, serving and loving others in the past year? Are we using wisdom with even just a weekly schedule of our hours? Or are we like a door, stationary, swinging back and forth? The difference, of course, with our lives and a door is that's exactly what a door was created to do. It is fulfilling its God-ordained purpose to just open and close. 
In Chariots of Fire, the character Eric Liddell says, Jenny, you've got to understand, I believe that God made me for a purpose, for China. And in fact, he would go on as a missionary worker in China. But he also says to her, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. So the door might say, God made me to open open and close. And when I open and close, I feel God's pleasure. I'm doing what I was created for. But do you actually feel God's pleasure in the hours that we are spending to our, or giving to our weeks and what we do? In filling and informing the earth and creating and cultivating, we ought to absolutely feel God's pleasure in even small things, like making an excellent latte. If you're a barista at a coffee shop, we ought to feel God's pleasure in writing a very useful line of code. In whatever we do, we're doing it with excellence as unto the Lord, doing excellent work to the glory of the Lord. The Bible actually doesn't have much of a dichotomy for like spiritual or secular work. Whatever we do, whatever we are doing, we can do it as unto the glory of the Lord. So a third trait of a sluggard, after considering the second one of actually showing initiative, the third trait of a sluggard is that he consistently fails to complete his tasks. Proverbs 26, 15, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. He puts his hand into the food bowl and he's too tired to even then feed himself. He's distracted. Perhaps procrastinating whatever he's doing. Perhaps he puts his hand in the bowl and then there's something else to grab his attention. Instagram has just opened on his phone. Now I can't finish the task, the task that I set out to do. Start something and then finish it. The tasks around the house, the projects for work or school, the book or the Bible reading plan. All of these are forms of good work that God gives us to cultivate, beautify, and bring order to the world where the chaos tries to continually creep in. Set out to do something and then finish it. So ultimately, in all these things, the first thing about the slugger, these wrong ways of thinking, all the things that we've just now considered are all under one big umbrella category of wrong ways of thinking that the slugger does not see work as good. Work is not good, and so there's all these other excuses and reasons for me, for me not to do it. The sluggard sees work as a necessary evil. He actually works to live. His paychecks only get him to the weekend where he can then really live his life. Nothing more than just fidgeting until death. Do you see your callings as a necessary evil? Just biding your time, fidgeting around, biding your time, students, until you can get out of your parents' house. Or college students, biding your time until you can get out of college and then finally let your life begin. Or then biding your time until you can get the next promotion that never satisfies you, until you can get the next promotion that never satisfies you, or biding your time until you can retire, until your life can now fully begin, you can check out, and then just biding your time until you die. But the Bible and the Proverbs are teaching us that work is not a necessary evil, but it is good because God calls us to it. Think about that word vocation itself. We tend to think about our vocation as where we just simply get our paycheck, but this word comes from the Latin word vox, the the, the Latin word of voice. 
voice, as in the place where the voice of God has called you to. Wherever you are today, this is your vocation. This is where God has called you to today. And if he has called you to that today, then bloom where you are planted. That's not to say that you should never change jobs. Some of you may not even have a job. You young kids out there, you students out there, you maybe don't have a job, but you do have a vocation. You actually have several vocations, that of a son or a daughter, that of a sister or a brother, of a student. Bloom where God has planted you for the glory of God and for the good of others. Work hard. Perhaps you have a really mundane job that you don't actually find much meaning in. It's actually hard for you to feel the pleasure of God in that work. But is your job providing some service to others? Is your vocation ordering some level of chaos in the world? Is it not causing others to sin? Well, then it's good work. It's good work. And bloom there as long as God has planted you there. I'm thinking of so many of you, I try to think of many of the vocations that are represented amongst our church here, out of scientists and financial advisors and business owners and entrepreneurs, pilots and full-time stay-at-home moms and teachers and restaurant and food service workers, carpenters and musicians, landscapers and programmers, engineers and those who are in full-time ministry, salesmen and mechanics, students and stylists, church members, lawyers, realtors, and on and on and on. And praise God for the variety of skills that he has gifted us with as his people here. To do work being done to bring order and to cultivate the world with excellence as unto the Lord. So God has given us the job to work and to keep where we have dominion. That is a place of of vocation. Proverbs 27, 23. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. This proverb is just telling you Whatever God has given you dominion over, know it well and work it well. Here's a question for us then. Where has God delegated his authority to you? Where has he given you dominion? Some of you might be partners or CEOs of your company. Some of you might have dominion over midterms and papers to write. Some of you might have dominion over your household as you are parenting your children or dominion over this up-and-coming project at work. The reality is, is that God has given you dominion over these places for his kingdom, for his glory, not for our own kingdoms and for our own glory. He has not given us dominion as like a personal, tyrannical despot over this dominion that he has given, but for his glory. Even your garage and your closet and your bedroom and your desk, all of these are ways to cultivate dominion, not to have this chaos cultivate dominion dominion over us. Now I imagine there might be a lot of hardworking parents out there who are like, yes, I am so glad that we came to church tonight so that my kids will hear all this and work harder. Can I get this preacher to come over on Monday morning and wake my kids up and get them out of bed? But before you become so glad that others are here to hear this sermon, let's not be too quick to ignore our own hearts as well. Just as we can wrongly think that our work doesn't matter, that it is just fidgeting before death, that it's a necessary evil, 
Well, certainly as Americans, we can swing hard to the other end of the spectrum as well. That all I am is my work. That if I'm not a hard worker, then I am nothing. That my entire life, my entire identity is tied up with what I do and how well I do it. Never satisfied with a completed project, never satisfied with another promotion, never able to turn our work off, replying to email at all hours, reticent to take a vacation because who will possibly do the work as well as I do it? The Proverbs have plenty, plenty to say to you as well. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist, meaning back up, to, to stop working. When your eyes light on it, that is money out there, it is gone. All it is is just here and gone. Don't work so hard just to accumulate and accumulate. And so just as the gospel is meant to awaken us out of our self-centered laziness and to actually give meaning to our work, the gospel also keeps us from putting too much hope, too much identity in what we do because it has been done. For about 33 years, Jesus of Nazareth worked tirelessly. He built things out of wood with his hands, out of service to others. He learned the scriptures. He meditated on them day and night. He obeyed and delighted in the will of the Father without one moment of rest, never taking just one evening for myself. He spent his hours and his days with the poor and with teaching his disciples. He then rolled up his sleeves and turned his face to Jerusalem. He went willingly to a place of public mockery and shame. He endured flogging and beating. He was hung on a cross to suffocate. He received the good and the right, just wrath of God that should have been pointed toward you and to me. And then in the end of all of that, his creative work of salvation and of redemption for you and for me was complete, and he said, it is finished. So now we can kick up our feet in laziness? No. So that we can kick up our feet in sinful disregard for the Lord because he is just going to forgive me in the end? No. But also so that we can rest in him. This sweet spot of not working too hard, but not working not at all, of finding meaning in what we do. As it has often, often been said, the difference that the gospel makes not is I obey and therefore I'm accepted, that is I work to achieve, but I am accepted and therefore I obey. Because it's already been achieved, I can work now with meaning. And so while my taking of my exams, while my finishing this project, while my making of sales or changing endless diapers, while making another latte or filing of the TPS reports, whatever they are, these all have meaning unto the Lord and are, way, are ways to cultivate dominion and order the chaos. At the same time, there isn't any amount of work that will save me or give me ultimate meaning and identity. Myself and my work is actually not the center of the universe's gravity, but God is, his kingdom and his glory. Because if what we can do for God is all that matters, rather than who we can be for God, then those older saints, those incapacitated saints, those sick or dying saints actually don't matter to him. The, the, the minute our productivity 
begins to tail off as we age or as we get sick or whatever it is, that is not what God is ultimately interested in. He is ultimately interested in people who are becoming more like his son. And so these older saints, those who are not able to work as hard, their humble and joyful hearts can be of great correction to our reliance on the production of our hands. God wants sons and daughters who work in the family business out of love more than mere soldiers who execute the battle plan out of duty. And so it's good. It's really good to turn off the emails on the weekend or to keep from going into the office on Saturday nights. And it's especially good to take a few days off each year to rest and to remember that it is God who rules the cosmos and not us. Proverbs 15, 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble without it. Well, I've already answered our second section here, our last question in lots of ways, but if all of that we thought of is wrong thoughts about work, what are some right thoughts about work? Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8, go to the ant. O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. If you recognize yourself as a sluggard, now, for God's glory and for your own joy, take a bit this week. See if you can, it's getting a little colder so there are fewer ants out, but just go like find a sidewalk and sit down and watch them. It's incredible. They are self-disciplined. They don't show up late. They don't take breaks. They they self-initiate. They do not need mom or dad to come in 20 times to tell them to wake up and get to work. They don't even need to hear a sermon about working with excellence. They internally know their calling and they work. They are one of the greatest cinematic characters of all time, Wally. I love Wally. Uh, He is a hard worker. Every single day, seemingly not accountable to anyone, and yet he just wants to do good work. Every single day. He isn't burnt out by monotony. This little robot is just daily fueled by bringing order to the chaos. Compared to the people in that movie, those who are slobs, everything has to be delivered to them. They are completely sedentary. They do not want to produce anything We learn as viewers of that movie to despise their laziness. It's only when they stand up, this huge moment in the movie where the humans stand up, that the plot really moves forward. But the ant and Wally are a model for us to consider and emulate. Self-disciplined, self-initiating. Wally is the last thing on earth, and yet he still gets up every morning to restore beauty, to beautify the chaos, to live for something outside of himself, and outside of his own interests. In the same way, ants are hard workers. Ants can carry over a hundred times their own body weight. This is amazing. And when you're at a hot July picnic, are, are the ants complaining about the heat? Nope. Just carrying away your Oreo crumbs from the picnic. They understand their future, and they work accordingly. They can almost, remember we talked about 
Wisdom being an investment in future joy as being able to kind of see the future and then acting accordingly. Ants do the exact same thing. They instinctively know that winter is coming, that hardship and difficulty is coming. And so they are investing every single day in future joy, working hard. They do not waste their weeks in procrastination and then have to cram at the end. They don't put off reading and storing God's word so that when winter comes, when difficulty and hardship come in your life, that you've got nothing left to fall back on and believe. They're storing themselves up for the winter. We don't see it here in the text, but ants are also unselfish. They work for the good of the colony. There are scouts out there everywhere, and as soon as they find something, they hustle back to the bed leaving a trail behind them. Some then go out and bring the food. Some stay to protect the bed. They are always tunneling and building. They are living for the good of others over and against the good of themselves. And the question for us is, as we sit down this week on a sidewalk somewhere watching these ants work, as we consider them, is this me? In a Philippians 2 kind of way, especially if you are a member of this church, Are you considering the good and the needs of others to be more significant than your own needs, your own interests? Looking to the others, to the interests of others. Beginning to think of ourselves not as the main character with all of these supporting characters out there, but as a supporting character to others. None of us are perfect ants and none of us ever will be, but we can look and learn. We can observe and change by the power of the Spirit. Especially if we keep reading in Proverbs 6. And if instead of seeing glimmers of the ant in ourself, instead, in verses 9 through 11, if these verses hit a little bit too close to home. Proverbs 6, 9, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. The sluggard, again, is just lying there, rolling back and forth. Again, when you, even when you do wake up, just folding the hands and lying there in peaceful rest just for five more minutes. As we look and consider these ants, these ants and even a door is living out our calling more faithfully and obediently than we are, perhaps. Your laziness, my laziness, is refusing or ignoring to be like and to echo our Creator, a God who works. So, get home tonight. Maybe not tonight. You've probably got a late night ahead of you. Get home sometime this evening or this, uh, this week and fix the leaky faucet. Cultivate some dominion. Create more order in the universe. Keep changing those diapers. Keep folding that laundry that seems to never end. Not for the approval of Instagram or for those in your house, but as unto the Lord who sees who knows, who cares, and has put you in this time of your life to keep creating beauty where there is only or often disgusting, seemingly never-ending curse in these diapers or with this laundry or whatever it is. Do your schoolwork this week with excellence, with integrity, without procrastinating. Go serve your roommates this week. Do your laundry, clean the kitchen, vacuum the house. If you're still living in your parents' house and you're old enough and your parents will allow you, go get a job. This is good. 
A job will create beauty, will bring order, will serve others, and will fill the earth with God's glory. Read a book this week. Read your Bible. Go outside and just enjoy the God who has created and worked to create all of these things. But remember, none of this can't just be a pep talk to go do something without first understanding why. We work not to gain God's approval. We pursue excellence not so that God will think that we are excellent. We are anything but. We are sluggards who turn over in bed, refusing to obey, refusing to worship our Father. Consider the ant this week, but consider Christ. We work because there was one who first worked perfectly. Jesus, like the ant, worked in self-discipline, removing himself to pray early in the morning and late at night. Jesus self-initiated and did not need others to give him a pep talk to persevere. He worked hard for God's glory and not his own. He understood the future and his purpose, and then he worked accordingly to plan and to prepare to move toward that purpose. And he unselfishly worked for the good of the colony, for his people, laying down his own interests, his own desires, his own life for yours. So the question for us in this week, as we consider him and his work, is are you trusting in his work, in his life and death and resurrection on your behalf, his work for your laziness, his holiness for your sin, his death for yours? When we understand and trust his work rather than our own, a work that we cannot add to, God then changes our hearts. It gives us a story that began somewhere, that we then ruined but that God then redeems and restores. And for those of us who are in Christ, he gives us a job to work and to keep areas of dominion as unto him, that whatever we do matters because he has called us to it. We don't worship our work, but we worship God in our work with great pleasure. Let's pray that that would be so this week. Our Father, we are thankful that you are a working God, that you created all things that you have hung the stars in the heavens, that you have created us with great care, with great precision, with great excellence. And yet this world is a world under curse that we have completely destroyed and corrupted. Father, but we thank you that you have not left us under this curse, but that you have worked again to recreate a new world a new universe that, will, that longs for its restoration, its redemption. And we look forward to this new heavens and new earth that we might live and reign and rule alongside you, Lord Jesus, for eternity. But as we wait for that day, help us, give us meaning to work as unto your glory, that it's not just uh, fidgeting unto death, but help us to do excellent work, and to feel your pleasure in whatever we do to the glory of God alone. We pray for these things in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.